0: Today's episode is sponsored by Tego. For most of us, indemnity insurance is one of our biggest costs of practice. But when was the last time you took a look at the coverage and compared your premium with others? Many of us are still with the same insurer we joined in med school
1: or intern year. Thousands of doctors have made the switch to Tego and benefited from their personalized approach to pricing. You will also get an extra two months free in your first year.
0: If you are new to private practice, you might even qualify for four years of discounted premiums.
1: Tigo offers competitive premiums, quality cover and 24-7 support backed by top medico-legal advisors.
0: Get a free quote and discover why thousands of doctors are insured by Tigo by visiting tigo.com.au.
1: Hello, listeners, and welcome to Deep Breaths, a podcast covering topics related to the Part 2 anaesthetic exam. I'm Dr. Kate
0: McCrossan, And I'm Dr. Kate Steele. And today's episode is I Will Survive, where we talk about crisis resource management with special guest, Dr. Lahiro Amaratunga. As
1: always, in this podcast, we represent our own views and not those of our employers or
0: ANSCA. Now, some of you may remember Dr Lahiru Amaratunga from Season 1, Episode 10, want "Wanna Be Startin' Something, which to date is actually one of our most downloaded episodes. Lahiru is a staff specialist at the Western Health Service in Melbourne, Victoria, and is just an all-around good guy. He's part of a number of teaching programs, ALS, sim education, and formal ANSCA part one and part two teaching, but he also has a few novel approaches to education. He has a YouTube channel called the ABCs of Anesthesia, runs an online course that helps advanced trainees prepare for the part two exam, and is a co-host of the podcast Anesthesia Coffee Break that aims to help basic trainees with the part one exam. Lahiru, thanks for joining us on Deep Breaths.
2: Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks very much for such a generous introduction. That's that's really great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're speaking to you over Zoom today because not only do you live in Melbourne, but Melbourne's also in lockdown. So our thoughts yeah. are with you and all of your colleagues down there <laughs> stuck in lockdown. Thanks
2: for, and this is this is my social outlet for the month. So I'm really happy to be. I'm like seriously happy to be here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh well, welcome. <laughs> You're very welcome. Yeah. So look, crisis resource management or CRM is something that features quite heavily in the part two exam. After all, it's a truth universally acknowledged that the scariest place to perform an anesthetic is in the part two anesthetic fibers. But as well as that, serious complications during anesthesia and surgery certainly occur more frequently than we'd like to admit. And our ability to manage these issues both efficiently and well really relies on a good understanding of CRM.
0: Yeah, so I know both Kate and I have had our fair share of uh, crises that we've had to manage over the years. Mm. Have you had any standout experiences that made you particularly interested in crisis resource management, Lahiroum?
2: It's funny, when you, when you say that, it's almost like, yeah, I don't want to say that I have too many crises, but I've <laughs> had just the right amount that is statistically appropriate for my level of practice. That's that's kind of what you have to say, isn't it?
0: <laughs> that's a very diplomatic... You're just right in the middle of that bell curve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a good place yeah, to. Diplomatic but to a no, T.
2: It was, it was funny because I remember... I didn't think of this during crisis learning crisis management, but we had just done a sim session talk, you know, teaching uterine ru- rupture to a whole bunch of consultants for one of education sessions, and literally half an hour later, got the code blue for yeah. a uterine Wow. and it was just gosh. one of the most <laughs> one of the most well-run resuscitations because I had just I had literally mm. just done the done the um you know organized the uh, sim sim center yeah. Uh, Workshop for that, and all the consultants were just ready to go. It was just, it was just one of those moments where we, I thought, oh, if we just did this more often, yeah, and we learned crisis resource management more often. That's fortuitous. Would would
1: be yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, mm. look, let's just jump right in then. So, can you start by explaining what you mean when you refer to crisis resource management?
2: Yeah, so I mean, CRM—it was a term that was taken from crew resource management from aviation. Like a lot like a lot of things in medicine we kind of fall fall behind other industry mm. but this is one of those things where it just really luckily we didn't have to change the acronym so it still stands true it's CRM it was crew resource management now it's crisis resource management mm. and so it refers to all the non-technical skills that are required for you know good teamwork in a crisis situation and you know what's interesting I, I tell this to all my students that you know the longer I work I think that this is you know, everything. It's the biggest part of my practice. But also, strange that I started med school in the year 2000. I only heard of CRM in 2012. Mm. And it's, it's, it's so unusual that for the first, you know, 12, 13 years of my practice, I didn't actually know the terms for the most important thing that I know now. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think it's, um, you know, it's really important in real life. Obviously, you can organize your teams into the right way and think about all these non technical skills. It's fantastic. But also, for this exam, you know, you're trying to sit this exam. Crises are so difficult to talk about. You've got so many things going on and you're mm. not really able to read the mind of the examiner. So, you know, being able to talk about this succinctly, precisely, effectively is just something that will make your life a lot easier, real life and the exam. Mm,
0: absolutely. Nice. And that's yeah. the goal, isn't it? You know, to have something that, uh, you know, is both useful for the exam but also prepares us for our life especially as as an for, mm. you know, the next 30 years. So. I think
2: it's fantastic yeah, that's right. in my tutes i go through this four phase approach mm-hmm. and it, it, these phases are very f- familiar to everyone you know phase one is safety steps things like checking your reading calling for help and you know ch- checking your scanning your surgery monitors and and um the patient and then um uh you know stopping the surgery relevant phase two is temporization steps just giving some fluid giving some oxygen whatever it is phase three is diagnosis phase four is treatment and within phase four it gets very complicated when it's when it's a crisis. So, you know, if you do something in a linear, if you do something simple, it's of, often a linear management plan. So, mm. think of laryngospasm, you know, you re- remove trigger, give oxygen, positive pressure, propofol maybe sucks. Mm. That's your linear management plan. But as soon as you add something extra to it, so, you know, as soon as you have anaphylaxis or you try, you know, a massive hemorrhage or we have so many tasks, suddenly it's very hard to talk about it linearly. In a, in, a, in a succinct way and suddenly it gets much more complicated and that's where CRM really, really works.
0: Mm, I like it. So let's walk through some of the principles of crisis resource management and these will form the basis of how we can better manage crises. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's right. So I, I think a lot of people refer to this paper by Roland Gabber back in 2005 and they just had all these really great words. Um, so, you know, things like call for help early, distribute the workload, anticipate and plan mobilize resources set priorities priorities dynamically use cognitive aids exercise leadership and followership reevaluate repeatedly use good teamwork prevent and manage fixation errors communicate effectively know the environment use all available information cross check and allocate attention wisely and as you can imagine that's a whole lot of great words but you know it's just really hard to remember that and, and action stuff there without a system
1: Mm, That's so true. Look, it does actually all make sense what you say in terms of each of those features of crisis resource management, but now can we briefly discuss how we actually
0: implement these principles in terms of a real world case example? Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so you're working at a small suburban hospital with four operating theatres and no ICU. You induce an otherwise healthy 35-year-old woman with no allergies for an open appendicectomy. One minute after induction, the patient's blood pressure drops to 60 millimetres of mercury and she's difficult to ventilate with pressures of 40 centimetres of water and a tidal volume of 100 mils. Ooh.
2: Yeah, so that's, that's uh, in that scenario, we've obviously made it very typical of what would be concerning for anaphylaxis. In an exam, things will evolve. You might get a low blood pressure, temporize with a bit of fluid naramine, then it drops again. Mm. Then suddenly you might get hypoxemia. But for the purpose of this, let's just go straight into the fact that we're thinking about phase four. Mm. And so, um, you know, I've, I've got this table here, which really helps me. So, you know, on the, there's something that potentially I can give a link to just so that people can have a have a look mm-hmm. at it, you know, visually. You've got all of those principles on the left-hand side. And I've tried to group them together. And then on the right-hand side, put an action. So, Two of the CRM principles, call for help and mobilize resources. What would you do realistically? I press the emergency buzzer or I dial the emergency number mm-hmm. and I get help and get brains and hands. So then the next thing would be, you know, exercise leadership and followership, use good teamwork, communicate effectively and distribute the workload. And for that, that really means, you know, that's a lot harder in real life. But for that, I'd just say, look, I'm leading the situation. I'd allocate staff to manage, you know, these roles. Mm-hmm. Um, very often, So the next step would be use cognitive aids, use all available information and cross checks. I've grouped those together. And so ANSCA and a lot of other, you know, anaesthetic bodies have so many cognitive aids and flow charts and things Mm. available. And for Mm. us, ANSCA recommends the MH, you know, having an MH trolley, an aflexis box, ALS flow charts, intralipid, you know, flow charts and um, information. And so I remember to mention those, but in real life, I would ask for those. Uh, then after that I think I'm going to to mention that these two other categories which wouldn't go in this order before I mention uh, this other particular one so I'll I'll say what I mean (laughs) Uh, you want to then re-evaluate repeatedly prevent and manage fixation errors and that's something again you do in real life you'd confer with a colleague get a second opinion and constantly reassess that's just a standard that we always do in the worst case situations Mm -hmm. and then finally anticipate and plan and mobilize resources um, as well as anticipating plan for longer term management. So when you think about it, you know, someone has any really bad problem, MH and whatever you, you need to see, do do I need ICU? Do I need to go to ICU? Do I need to get, um, you know, adult retrieval services or MICA? Do I need ECMO? Do I need mm. more supplies of dantrolene or intralipid or whatever I need? And then finally, I'm thinking of the long-term plan. Does this patient need testing for whatever it was, MH or anaphylaxis and allergy testing? Um, and do they need to be pl- planned for future operation? And do I need to report to the various bodies? So do I need to put an incident report in? So I'm trying to think in that long-term framework as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Now,
2: before I move on to the other category, the other category is set priorities dynamically, anticipating planning in an acute sense and allocating attention wisely. And what I've done for that is I've made the action state the multiple priorities. So it's again hard to, hard to really express it in words but calling for help leading the situation getting cognitive aids reevaluating and conferring with a colleague and then anticipating planning the future tasks of what's needed these are essentially common to every crisis mm-hmm. so i can just memorize that that's just that's just a rote learn thing and it takes 5 seconds to mention these in in general mm-hmm. but then the thing that really takes your brain power is to think about what are the parallel management pr- plans here Um, So in this example of anaphylaxis, you know, you really would want to think about where do I need to allocate my teams to and what are the parallel management threads that are going to occur? So, you know, ceasing the trigger. So, you know, washing off any chlorhex or getting rid of any latex or stopping the antibiotics, Mm. um, giving oxygen and managing that ventilation, Mm. giving adrenaline, starting infusion, um, giving lots of fluid and having someone just... And devoted to that and potentially another one for lines mm. um, and um, other, other kind of tasks like Artline and CVC and, and bigger drips. So now I've got, say, f- you know, four or five different things that are happening in parallel, mm. which I can allocate teams to. And now I've got a system whereby I'm able to talk about it in such you know, a, a concise and precise fashion. I've given the list and then I can give the detail. I don't need to get bogged down by just talking about one thread. Mm -hmm. in the story of this anaphylaxis. Yeah, I really
1: like that. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. Now, before we move on to some Viva-style crisis scenarios, are there any important points that should be reinforced for people interested in improving their crisis resource management?
2: Yeah, so as I mentioned before, I think most of the elements and actions are relatively constant. So I think the thing that you want to practice is firstly making sure that you know to say those things, call for help, lead this situation, allocate staff to the various roles, cognitive aids, and then start planning where this patient needs to go eventually. Mm. But that point of difference, the critical point here is to be able to, on the fly, come up with how you would prioritize this. And this is different for every person. It doesn't matter how you do it, but I think it's really a great use of categorization to start thinking about how I would, you know, have multiple management threads occurring. So that's what I would do, and maybe in these examples, we'll kind of briefly talk about how you could just, um, yeah, how you could just practice doing this in every scenario. That said, you know, when you're in, um, when you're in theatre, you can just, you know, just, just what's the worst case scenario that could happen? Play that game, <laughs> you know, with your trainee, with your colleague, with with your nurse. Hey, what ends you know, you're doing a lap collie. It's pretty boring case. Everyone knows the anaesthetic for that. Mm-hmm. Go, hey, what ends if they put a put a um, trocar into the aorta? What, what, mm-hmm. what would you? Do?
0: Yeah, play that game. It's a good game to to play, isn't it?
2: (laughs) That's right. Yeah. I don't believe in jinxing. It doesn't exist. Just do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I actually agree. I think that's something I like to do with my trainees sometimes is just go, you know, do a bit of mental thought exercise uh, and mental training because, as you point out, crises aren't common. So, our chance to practice this is either in mental rehearsal, as you've suggested, or in simulation, if you have access to that. Um, Mm. But, yeah, I think it's something we should be doing almost on a, you know, definitely a weekly, if not a daily basis, if Mm. you get a chance because you just never know when it's going to happen, you know. And
1: if nothing else, it's a way to spice up that lap collie.
0: (laughs) True, that's true. (laughs) Feeling a little bit bored, invent a crisis. Exactly. (laughs) All right. So, look, we're going to start a few scenarios now. Uh, Lahira, if you're ready for that. So, yeah. excellent. Uh, so, you're just starting an elective list and your first patient is a 50-year-old overweight male scheduled for an elective laparoscopic cholecystectomy. His comorbidities include hypertension, hypercholesterolemia and non-insulin-dependent diabetes mellitus. He takes candesartan, atorvastatin, metformin and citagliptin and has no known adverse drug reactions. It is an unremarkable and stable induction, but 20 minutes into the case, you notice that the end tidal CO2 has risen to 70, his heart rate is 120, and his blood pressure is 160 on 90. The patient appears flushed. What is your approach to this situation?
2: Yeah, good. So, yeah, again, I would go through that four-phase approach. And I think in this kind of situation, when it's so almost mnemonic for being concerned about malignant hypothermia, mm. I'd probably uh, say, look, I'm really concerned about malignant hypothermia. Mm. I'll check a temperature and get that reading from the examiner or in real life and then proceed. Um, because really after that, everything just needs to flow. Um, you know, you get the reading back, let's say it's, you know, 41 degrees. And then you'd say, well, look, I, th- this is, this, I'm this this i going to treat this as MH. I'm going to call for the, you know, press the buzzer, call for help because I need a lot more hands in this crisis situation. And then let's try to think about it so, I mean, even get get your um, get your listeners to pause and just try to go through that CRM framework. So, essentially, I want to think of all the common things. I'd call for help, obviously, press the buzzer. I would um, lead this situation and allocate people to tasks using the MH task card. So, I've got the MH trolley. That's my cognitive aids and that's mobilizing resources. I um, mean, cognitive aids so that I don't have to rely on my flawed memory uh, and then Beyond that, I can then think about um, you know get, you know getting getting another colleague in re- reassessing, reviewing, as well as now stating my multiple priorities. And these are all going to be in the task cards. But the, in the exam, you're going to actually actually think about this. So my priorities are one to cease the trigger, administer and reconstitute dantrolene, mm-hmm. manual cooling of the patient, and then manage the many complications, lines and access. And then I can talk about those in detail. I would also want to. Make sure that you know this patient into the future. So just to mention that now quickly, into the future, this patient uh, may need transfer to another hospital. I need to mobilise further dental supplies, and they need all the usual testing and instant reporting for this as well. But then each of these, so now back to the priorities. Each of these, you know, each of these priorities, each of these words or sentences has a whole story behind it. So you know, mm. ceasing the trigger pretty much means I need to you know stop the volatile hyperventilate the patient, 100% oxygen, high flows, cease giving the volatile so anesthetic, maybe replace the third line and commence a propofol infusion. So it's mm-hmm. got a whole story I can talk throughout in a few seconds. And when I'm examining people, I often find that they fall short on the story, that it takes only a few seconds to say something more complete that can probably give the examiner confidence that you could have gone on if you needed to. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. You, can, you know, I would get a team to reconstitute dantrolene and draw it up, you know, using sterile water, 50 mil syringes, 2.5 milligrams per kilogram per person, repeat every 15 minutes up to a maximum of 10 milligrams per kilogram and mobilize extra stock because the hospital just doesn't have enough. Mm-hmm. And maybe mention would check for calcium channel blockers as a contraindication or a higher risk interaction for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Manual
2: cooling, you know, really there's so many things I need to do to keep the temperature down. Ice packs to the countercurrent exchange points growing, axilla, neck decrease the theater temperature, cooling the cavities, bladder irrigations, cold fluids, and then managing complications, You know, taking arterial gas, checking the potassium, treating that with all the measures, checking the pH, checking for arrhythmias, and then finally lines and access, a whole team just for getting that large by IV access, art line and potentially central line later as well. Mm. So I'm trying to talk through each of the points organized. If the examiner, hopefully they just hear that I'm really organized. I've <laughs> signposted each of those five priorities And hopefully, I just move through it really quickly. And a lot of it's rehearsed. I know what I'm saying. This is not something that I haven't seen before, haven't practiced before. I'm, you know, I'm literally just going through as much as I can in as much detail, ready for the examiner to ask me, tell me more about hyperkalemia management or patient arrest. What do I do do now?
0: Mm. Mm. And so, that's, I mean, that was a fantastic exam answer, kind of flipping it across to real life is that exactly what you would do in real life so you would go you would actually like voice your priorities one two three four five uh in terms of you know denture and cooling and and then um try to allocate tasks based on that because i guess that can be done in a pretty short period of time is that mm-hmm. how you tackle that situation
2: yeah and i think the great thing about mh is that we have the task cards, so yeah. you know you have senior members being the holder of those task cards that you can trust and your hey you've got this fantastic what, what It gets tricky when something isn't as well rehearsed mm. as MH1 or, or, or it doesn't have a box or a trolley for it. Mm. Um, so, for example, you know, if, if you have someone, uh, you know, I give this example of a prone position patient with a, maybe a grade three airway and the tube falls out. You, you've, you've taken over the case. So you weren't in charge of you know, tying the tube in. That's mm. an easy way that you can have get around. And I always tie and tape and glue my tube. You know, you can, you
0: can <laughs> just wire it and like a like burns patient. <laughs> every, <laughs> single, every single patient. Right. <laughs> oh my goodness!
1: So,
2: so if I think about that absolute disaster, prone patient, pretty difficult airway, mm. tube falls out. I w- so all I'm, I'm already thinking call for help and all the standard stuff. But then I'm thinking I need teams for this. So mm. I need a whole team to flip the patient over, which is surgeon and techs, and I need to offload that. Mm. to, you know, and wrapping up everything, yep. text, bringing the bed in and rolling them over maybe with my registrar helping with the head and then I've got to get my stuff ready. So I'd potentially have my airway stuff ready as a second team. So yep. that's video learning, scope, LMAs and, you know, getting my getting my circuit ready and then a whole other person just setting up a scalpel bougie size six tube. Mm. There's no reason that I need to do this linearly. I don't need to turn the bed carefully. I don't need to then with my nurse get everything ready for an intubation mm. and after that fails potentially then get out of scalpel it doesn't have to, have to happen serially. It can absolutely happen together. So, you just go from one straight to the next.
0: Yeah, and I should um, just briefly interject. There's a little bit of a, a state um, you've mentioned uh, techs. So techs, I have to say, in Victoria are theatre technicians, which is sort of like what we would call TSOs, theatre mm. support officers in Queensland. There's probably other terms for them because mm. when we say tech right. in uh, when my hospital, that means anaesthetic technicians. So I'm mm. sure they can help unprone a patient as well. Many of them are very, <laughs> you know, just to help break that down. And look, I'm sure if there's other states that have other ways they refer to various people in their operating theatre, please mm. write to us. <laughs> 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 so, you yeah, know, I think I think that's great. Yeah. Um, it's just interesting how, yeah, I just I can just see how mental rehearsal is really helpful in these situations in terms of that experience of breaking things down and then running them in parallel or at least getting them started in parallel. So you're sort of going boom, boom, boom and then all the tasks start in parallel rather than thinking of one thing and then going, oh, what's next? <laughs> you know, mm. um, And it's hard to do because we all know our working memory is really limited and we're also under stress. Mm. Um, but so. I mean,
1: it's like when we, whenever something that we're always taught when we go through training is practice with every possible piece of equipment that you have access to so that if you have to pick it up in anger, mm. you know what you're doing. And it, it sounds like the same for crisis resource management. Yeah, you know, right. The more you practice, the better you are at dealing with the crisis and using those tools that you've been training for, mm, you know, yeah. up to this point. So, I you must... Ever, oh, sorry, La.
2: Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't have to be even medical crises. Like, think about the last time a crisis happened at home or when you're travelling. Like, maybe, you know, you woke up late and, you, you know, flights in a certain amount of time and, and you know, you got to get things happen. I remember we had a upstairs... In my apartment years and years ago, we had a, a situation where the upstairs hot water system just burst and it was just flooding into our living room and that was a crisis and i remember going to my housemate hey can you can you sort out the water flow i'll get this and so we had this kind of <laughs> pass and and it was it, it just happened beautifully and my housemate he's he's, he's such a amazing creative person he um Fashioned out of aluminium foil, some kind of funnel so that the water could run from the <laughs> wall into the bucket. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Whilst I was trying to get the neighbours to awesome. open. Up there. Yeah. Anyway, oh, nice. it's all it's all CRM. It's I all allocation just, of time.
0: I was thinking that when you were saying like travelling, like running late for a flight. I was like, travel. What is mm. that?
1: <laughs> yeah. What is that? <laughs> One day. One day. So look, I've got to say, Lahiri, the first thing that comes to mind actually hearing you talk through crises, whether they be anesthetic or otherwise, is that the way you approach it, it's just really slick. So you can give a lot of really important information in a really succinct fashion. But it's also a very thorough and complete answer too, which I find really impressive.
2: Well, thanks for that. I always fall back on frameworks. If I've got a framework, I can you know I can always fall back to that. I, I think the answer exam doesn't always reward the frameworks unless they're rare things mm-hmm. it's always it's also important to know what the point of difference what the critical issue is and be able to point it out but I think a lot of things that aren't as you know aren't as regularly assessed like you know imagine being asked how do you assess a patient like you know there's no way that you're gonna to have to go through I would check a past anesthetic history U N V, there's no way that's just gonna happen it's too it's too obvious but a framework for the rare stuff the crises the um the more difficult emst uh, or you know emac or you know als things that happen you know without the framework i think it's very hard to talk very quickly about it so especially you know when i uh, if if, if you go through the australian system i think a lot of these are drilled into you time Mm. and time again you'll go through a b c d e for deteriorating patients for anesthetic style things as well but if you're maybe international and you're not used to rehearsing the same kind of lines like this i think that's something that's quite rewarded well being able to practice these pretty pretty rehearsed answers that you can vary on the fly
0: Mm. So, before we move on to our next case, is there any additional advice you can offer after having gone through this case yourself? Hmm.
2: So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess to highlight the the fact that everyone will task these priorities differently and that's mm. completely okay. The, the MH ones, they're pretty standard. We've got a whole trolley and cards that are dedicated to that. Mm. But you know, like the flipping the prone patient over or, you know, maybe, you know, get, take any other situation that becomes a crisis and change something different so for example a uterine rupture in theater or a pph in theater will be very different to a, a pph on the war that requires mm. coming to theater so suddenly you need to have another whole priority of transport and arranging theater so that's a whole other thing so mm. uh, everyone will do these differently and that's fine i think it's more important to have the priorities and the structure and the categories mm. and then your, your style is then to signpost these so you're not just talking about one of these things i would transport the patient and then start going on a whole thing about transporting when you could have said, I need to, you know, manage the delivery of the baby, the neonatal support, blood, you know, cardiovascular management and blood transfusion and transport and theater setup. I've said my whole kind of story mm. in brief. Mm. And now they can the examine can probe me about what what I what I meant by blood transfusion and what am I thinking of.
0: Yeah. So and, yes, and as you I'm, pointed I'm, out. I'm, oh, go on.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Signposting, really great mm. tool. You ask a broad question.
0: Yeah, and I think as you pointed out, context is really important as well, isn't it? So, and that, you know, particularly for our trainees, it could be on a night shift, you know, when there's not as many people. It's very different having a crisis at 11 a.m. Mm. in a tertiary hospital to having a crisis on your own overnight in a regional centre. So, um, yeah, worth thinking about those things as well. Mm. So, the thing that
2: they used to talk about, which, you know, ANSCA wants to get you ready for being insane elsewhere is in a small day hospital or a small private mm. hospital somewhere like you got a plan for that we all tra- many of us train in tertiary quaternary hospitals mm. but you know to start thinking about what you do in yeah remote settings just like you said
0: mm. yeah great point so with this next case we want to let people know that you won't be identifying which phase of the crisis you're responding to you'll be talking through this case as if you were being vivered yourself okay you're ready for the next case <laughs> sounds good okay So you're doing a shoulder list and in the induction room talking
1: to your next patient. He is a healthy 30-year-old male scheduled for an elective shoulder reconstruction for a sporting injury. He has no significant medical history and no allergies. He has never had an anesthetic before. Together you decide on an interscalene block before inducing general anesthesia for the case. One minute after performing the interscalene block with 20 mils of 0.5% bupivacaine, the patient complains of feeling off before becoming unconscious. What is your approach to this situation?
2: Yep. So this I'd start by saying this is obviously a really concerning situation. Um, I'm already thinking that this patient may have got local anesthetic to- toxicity. So I'd immediately call for help um, whilst following the ALS guidelines. So check for danger, put on PPE, check for response to voice and to pain. If there's no response, I then already call for help. And then I open the airway, check for breathing. If there's no breathing or there's abnormal breathing, I immediately start chest compressions. So now I've got the ALS algorithm going in my mind, but I'm also thinking... I, my priorities now are to keep going with the ALS cycles, knowing that this could be a prolonged arrest. I need to mobilize intralipid, so I'd have mm-hmm. someone tasked that. And I've got to think about what are the implications for a prolonged arrest in this young patient, which potentially is ECMO. So I'm just going to put that out there before I get into the nitty and gritty of my ALS, ALS algorithm. So. You know, once the once the help arrives, immediately apply the defib pads. Check for, check for rhythm. Use safe use safe defib, defib language, and then shock if required. Um, I would give adrenaline after a non-shockable rhythm if that was the case, and after, and after the second shock, in a shockable rhythm after the second shock, uh, if it, if I do that, and then you know, consider amiodarone as well. Again, IV access as as the patient probably already has that, um, and then have someone managing the airway as well to give you know thirty. Uh, two breaths every 30 compressions of CPR.
1: I like so it. At that point,
2: I probably could wait and ask for the you know examiner's response. I can go into more detail about each of those things, whether it's the chest compressions, the ratio, the amount there. But really, the, I suspect that this would then go down to a whole thing of you know, you know, what, what dose of intralipid are you giving? And mm. How are you going to manage that? And I'd be really, it would be really determined by the examiner. So if I was to just outline my framework in that. It, the the thing has happened. I've got a it's a sick patient. Therefore, I use my doctor's ABC approach and confirm the arrest, and then start the ALS cycles. My ALS cycles really just mean chest compressions, defib, IV access, yeah. adrenaline, and airway. Mm-hmm. And then while that's happening, I'm thinking of reversible causes, which is the you know local anesthetic toxicity, getting the intralipid there, um, and then using that framework that I've just uh, kind of talked about before. I'm obviously leading the situation, though I didn't mention it. I'm mobilizing the intralipid and the cognitive aids for that. And maybe I could have mentioned, you know, getting the ALS flowcharts, uh, but that's something mm. that's pretty common that we all know. And then finally, you know, anticipating planning, like where does this go? Is this patient going to get back with bupivacaine intra- intravenously? Do I need to plan for ECMO? Is that is, is that something that's worth, worthwhile saying and mm. definitely exploring? Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we're very succinct, succinct and complete. Mm.
2: Yeah, so obviously, this framework is just a suggestion. Everyone's got their own style. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really just trying to explore, like when I'm teaching this, uh, you know, each time I teach some one of these courses or try to try to or or some other information comes up for example the crm information becomes available i think okay how can i integrate that so this is just a framework that i think is really useful for me everyone's got their style but i think you can take away what you like from these principles and hopefully adopt it to your own style and uh, your own
0: frameworks Mm, yeah great suggestion
1: Yeah, so I can really see the value in practicing case scenario like these one after another because there's a lot of overlap in what we would say and do when managing different anaesthetic crises.
0: Yeah, and attempting to answer several in one sitting uh, certainly reinforces how we implement a lot of the CRM principles. I guess practice makes perfect, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: (laughs) So for those looking for more information about crisis resource management, Lahiru addresses it and many other salient topics in his online Viva Bootcamp course mm. aimed at helping part two candidates prepare for the final anaesthetic exam. Now, this sittings bootcamp is on Saturday, September 18th, and the link is in our episode description. So if you're interested, check it out. We recommend everyone preparing for the upcoming exam to click those links.
0: Yeah, I certainly know a lot of our trainees attend mm. uh, from Queensland and find it really beneficial. I think it's just getting bigger and better every year, really. It certainly is. So, look, before we end this episode, we have one last question for you, Lahiru, which is, what have you learned in anesthesia this week?
2: Yeah, no, I think that's a really great question because the last two weeks has been so eventful. It's been a bit ridiculous. Um, really? So my, my website post was hacked <gasps> and I lo- almost lost everything uh, oh, on no. my website.
0: Oh, my god! I'm um, sorry.
2: Yeah, really bad, right? So, uh, and 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 here's what I've learned. Like you, you know, I just was taking backing up not seriously enough. Mm. I I mean, obviously, I should trust my website host because they're meant to be pretty good. But anyway, so literally in the last week, I've just realized I need to back up everything. You know, Mm. all the content that I have from YouTube and Instagram and all the other courses and stuff. Mm. I I really need that to be secure. So, yep, everything is backed up now, and it's all good. Uh, so I'm pretty happy about
0: that. <laughs> oh <my goodness. laughs> that sounds terribly stressful. Yeah,
2: Jeez. things things are good in lockdown. You get to just you know tidy up your life, spring clean your data, so to speak. Yeah, um, digital
0: cleanup. I like it.
2: Yeah, but actually, I did, I did learn something quite interesting. I, I don't do that much thoracics, um, and so I had a thoracics, thoracics case just last week, um, and pretty much. Uh, this was a right sided double and tube that 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 i inserted mm-hmm. and um yeah and the surgeon was actually very helpful uh, you know i was i was getting the um uh you know the Murphy's eye at, at the right upper lobe and getting that all sorted mm-hmm. because you know if you use volume control ventilation uh, the pressures will be around 20 and if the pressures suddenly jump that means that you you know maybe the tube has moved and you've blocked the right upper mm. lobe oh, that's that's really useful and practical Because usually i just use pressure control ventilation mm. because it's, you know, I, don't, I don't have to worry about you know changing volumes when, when you go from one to two lungs mm. but for that particular right upper lobe problem i thought you know what i'm going to use volume control ventilation and i will practically speaking know when it's going to be when it blocked very yeah. quickly and it was the thoracic uh,
1: surgeon that recommended that to you
2: it's yeah, surprisingly helpful. Like I was I was so happy that he you kind know, of just volunteered That's, <laughs>
1: That's awesome. like that. Fantastic. <laughs> who, yeah, who would have known
2: that a thoracic surgeon knew so much about the lungs?
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. Go figure, <laughs> hey. Surprise, surprise. Stranger things have happened. So look, Lahiru, thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate your quirky sense of humor and all of the fantastic and interesting things you have to tell us. So thank you.
2: Thanks very much for having me on. Like it's it's a really Ma- massive pleasure and I, I get a bit of a thrill out of every time because obviously I know, I've known you guys for you know over over what, two decades now. So. Yeah yeah <laughs> we're
1: probably approaching 30 years which just makes me feel yeah. old. It's not not 30, old, old. Not old. Old. 30, no, we're not that 20. More than 20 though 20, surely. 20. <laughs> it's been a while, let's just say it's been a while.
0: <laughs> <was like>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, but every time you know some, someone will come to me at my hospital and say oh yeah listen to this awesome podcast, Deep Breath podcast, I'm like yeah yeah I know them
0: yeah. <laughs> well I actually I have, have the same <laughs> We have actually the same experience with our anesthesia coffee break, which mm-hmm. I have said before I do listen to myself like myself and I do. But um yeah, anytime someone's sitting in the primary, I'm like, have you heard of anesthesia coffee break? And they always have and they think it's fantastic. So yeah. good on you. Um yeah, I think uh, a bit of cross promotion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: that's right. Nice. Hey, gotta do something in lockdown, right? Yes, exactly.
0: That's exactly right. Exactly. And please listeners just don't forget about the Viva boot camp as well, because it's um it's fantastic. Opportunity. Uh, I don't think there's really anything like it in uh, in the country that I'm aware of. So no. uh, great opportunity that exists if you wish to take it up.
2: Thanks. Actually, can I can I plug one more thing?
0: Sure, <laughs> while we're here.
2: <laughs> so so I've uh, like I've been teaching a lot of IMGs. I think a lot of us have experienced tr- trying to help IMGs, and we, I think we all know that they've got very low pass rates. So I'm mm. um, setting up with a colleague of mine in Western Australia. We're setting up an IMG kind of exam coaching program. Mm. So. Yeah, if, if you're an IMG and you you know, you know want some assistance with this, please uh, please reach out. Uh, my email will be in the story notes, I assume. And um, yep. yeah, um, we'll get you signed sign up and try to help you through over this 12-month program. That's like fantastic.
0: Yeah, well done. It's really great. So, it's been a really dynamic and interesting topic on today's episode of Deep Breaths. We love getting feedback from our listeners. So, please be sure to email us at deepbreathspod at gmail.com with any topic suggestions, questions or to say hi. And if you know of anyone that you think would be a fantastic interviewee, definitely let us know.
1: That's right. We've had some
0: fantastic
1: suggestions over the last few weeks that we're currently chasing up. Thanks for listening, and we hope you can join us next time on Deep Breaths.